Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 through 24. I'm going to read the whole section to you, and then we're going to be breaking this down. And as you see what Paul is dealing with, you're going to see that we're going to spend a lot of time tonight looking at historical background, uh, looking at details of Paul's life. And you better limber your fingers up and your pens get them loose because we're going to be covering a lot, a lot, a lot of scriptures tonight. Galatians 1, verses 11 through 24. And I usually say that, but I, I mean it tonight. All right. Paul says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart from before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. Now we're going to try to cover all of this tonight. And so in doing so, you're going to see as we continue in our study that we're now coming to a section in Galatians in which Paul defends not only the message that he's preaching, but also his ability to preach it. In other words, if you remember from our, our introduction uh, to this book, the false teachers which had come in behind Paul in Galatia after he had gone there to share the gospel with them and to begin those churches, the false teachers came in behind him and challenged the message that he was preaching, the gospel of grace. And they also challenged his ability to preach it in the sense they were questioning whether he was really even an apostle. And so now Paul begins to really defend the fact that he is able to preach this because he is an apostle and at the same time this message he's preaching is from God. And not from man. And that's what he says. He says, This message, I want you to know, verse 11, know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, all of us who come to faith in God and coming to know Him, God may use individuals to teach us, individuals to share the good news. But ultimately, in one sense, if we have understanding, it comes from God. But Paul is not saying that here. He's not using it in that sense. He's not saying that this understanding came from God, even though man talked to me. He's clarifying even more, and you'll see in the detail as we get into. He says, look, not only did God open my eyes to this truth, it was Jesus himself who shared with me the gospel. It was Jesus himself who taught me what I'm teaching you. And we're going to see that come out even more clearly. As much as any of us who have come to faith in Christ ultimately heard from God himself, even though he may, use, may have used man, Paul said, God spoke to me and he didn't use man. And so what I want to deal with then is an aspect of this that came to my mind as I was doing this study. And actually, I was in Romania when I was doing this study. It's one of those benefits of your body not being used to time change. I was laying there in, uh, in Romania, and it's 2 in the morning, and I realized I'm not going to go to sleep, so there's no use fighting it anymore. And I just grabbed my Bible, and I went down to their kitchen of the house I was staying in, and from 2 to 6, all this whole study was written there in, in Romania one, one morning. And uh, once I was done, I went back to sleep until 10, so it was good. <laughs> so I wasn't teaching until that, later that afternoon. But as I was sitting there in their kitchen, God began to show me something that I want to pull out to you. And we're going to look at a lot of scriptures to show you this. When he says that this gospel isn't man's gospel, he's saying that man didn't come up with this. And I want to show you scripturally proof that man didn't come up with this. The Bible actually says, and you're about to see many places where, that actually Jesus dying for us for our sins was planned by God before the creation of the world. This wasn't something man came up with later on as a way to come up with, there's a God and how do I find him? Well, maybe it's this way. And man writes his own religion, which many have done. 
The Bible says without question, and you're going to be surprised how many times, because I'm not showing you all, but we're going to look at a lot, that this gospel that we believe in through Jesus Christ and that we share had been planned before the creation of the world. Now, I'm telling you now, be very close, careful to pay close attention, because what we're looking at here in the beginning will be very, very important to us when we get to the very end and deal with something that Paul says that's hard for some people to understand. So go to Ephesians. We're in Galatians. Turn over one book to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 10. Paul says here in chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Christ Jesus, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Look closely. He said that God was planned, and He planned to, to save us through Jesus before the foundations of the earth, but it was revealed at the time he chose. You understand what he's saying here? Jesus was planned before God created the whole universe. But there was a time in which he was fully revealed when he came to the earth. Go to 2 Timothy. Chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Again, Paul is speaking, 2 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 11. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Do you see it again? And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought, brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, and that which is why I suffer as I do. All right, now listen to what he says. Again, Jesus' death, the gospel, the salvation that God has for us, was planned before the ages began, but was revealed when Jesus came to the earth. Go to Titus chapter 1. You're in 2 Timothy. Turn over one book to Titus. Chapter 1, look at verses 1 through 3. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching in which, with which I have been entrusted, by the command of God, our Savior. Again, repeats, the gospel, the salvation was planned before the world began, but was made manifest when Jesus came. Go to Matthew 13. That was Titus 1. That was Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Matthew chapter 13. Look at verses 34 and 35. Matthew 13, verse 34, All these, these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. This is Isaiah, by the way. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundations of the world. All right. Again, God planned this all before the world even began. We go to another place. Go to Matthew 25. And look at verse 34. It's at the end of the story about the sheep and the goats. And he says in verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. I'm going to give you one more. There's plenty more, but I'm going to give you one more. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1. Look at verses 18 through 21. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. Peter says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, 
not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Over and over, the Bible says that God knew this was going to happen before it happened. It was God's plan before it happened. Yet it also was manifest at the time that God chose. Now, that's going to be important when we get to the end of our study tonight. But let's just keep that in mind for what we're looking at. Paul says, look, this gospel that I'm preaching to you, man didn't come up with it. And there's no way man could come up with it if it was planned and written by God, if you will, and ordained by God before the creation of the world. Man didn't come up with it. All right, it already was in existence by the time man was born or was, was first created. All right, now some of you are thinking, isn't there a place that talks about where Jesus was a lamb slain before the foundations of the earth? Remember that? That's because you're remembering King James. You know, depending on what age you were or when you, what translation you had when you memorized certain things. And so if you go in your Bibles that are newer translations and look for the lamb slain before the foundations of the earth, you're not going to find it unless you look in the King James because that's where it's worded in that way. I actually had that same problem because my brain was saying, wait a minute, where does it say slain before the foundations of the earth? And I looked for hours until I realized, wait a minute, maybe that's King James. And then I did a little research and found out it was King James. And that's why my concordances didn't have it, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, but if you look for it in your newer translations, it's not worded that way. And that's, by the way, in the book of Revelation. And it's in chapter 5, but it's not worded that way um, um, in the other newer translations. I'm sorry? I think it's, I, you're going on my memory here, so I'm going to put, have you put a little question mark on next to this, but I think it's around verse 12. Okay. All right. All right. So let's go back to Galatians now. Paul says, this gospel I'm preaching, man didn't come up with it, and we just looked at the fact that God made it long before the world even began. So folks, people might say, well, Christianity, you know, that, that didn't even really come into the world until such and such A.D., and you can say, no, 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 look here, 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 and here. Jesus was planned by God to die on the cross for man's sins before the creation of the world. It wasn't made manifest until that time, but it had been God's plan all along. Okay? Now, the next thing we see here in our study of Galatians is that Paul then explains that legalism or rule following in order to obtain righteousness was who he used to be. And he, he excelled in it for quite a while. Remember, he's been accused by these false teachers of, well, you're preaching a gospel of grace. You're preaching an easy gospel because you're just trying to make it easy for man. And you're just wanting man's approval. And you, you're, you're afraid of the hard way, you know, kind of a thing. And Paul says, hang on for a second. Let me remind you of who I am and my lifestyle and the way I was. If there was anybody that was living for that, trying to get righteousness to how good you were and how hard you worked, I was the chief. And so let's go now and take a look at what his life was like. Uh, we were in Galatians. Jump over to Philippians chapter 3. Look at verses 1 through 6. It says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Look at how he describes himself. By the way, for those of us who think the flesh is just like fornication and adultery and that kind of stuff, no, the flesh is anything done independent of God. Anything done in your own strength is the flesh. Anything that was not done by God himself, even if it may be what we call a good thing, is of the flesh and it counts for nothing before God. And Paul listed all the stuff that we would make him chairman of deacons for. <laughs> right? We listed all that stuff. And he called it of the flesh. And actually later on, he counts it all as rubbish. Because he realizes now, only what's done by God through him was what's of any value. All right? Now, let's look over at Acts chapter 22. We'll learn a little bit more about Paul's background. Some things that maybe you knew or maybe you didn't. In Acts 22, as he's telling his story, and you're going to be in Acts a lot for the next few uh, moments here. 
uh, because we're going to be looking at a lot of Paul retelling his life story as he was sharing the gospel in many of the different places where he was under trial or having opportunity to preach. In Acts 22, verses 1 through 3, he says, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are to this day. Now, at this point, he's under arrest in, uh, in Jerusalem, and they're trying to kill him. And he asks for permission to the Roman soldiers. Hey, can I speak to the crowd before you haul me off? And he begins to speak to them. And when he speaks to them in their language, they all say, whoa, listen, listen. But look at what he did. He just said, look, brothers, let me explain to you. I was just like you are. I actually, I was born in Tarsus. But I was raised in this city, and Gamaliel was my teacher. When they hear that, they're going to go, man, that's like one of the best. That's one of our big guys. That's one of our, our, our special teachers. He goes, I was taught by Gamaliel. And he said, I, I, I used to be just like you. But that was setting them up for what God wanted to show them and what God had shown him. Go to Acts 23. Look at verses 6 through 8. It says, now when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I'm on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. And so while he here was on trial, we see again, he was not only a Pharisee, but he was what? What does it say here? Son of the Pharisees. He was raised by the Pharisees. He grew up as a Pharisee. We saw earlier that he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees, what do you know about the Pharisees? This is why I'm going to open it up for a little discussion here. What do you know about the Pharisees? They definitely were a puffed up people. Why were they puffed up? They were the law keepers. Remember, they believed and taught that if you did what God's law says, if you obeyed it, what would happen? Go to heaven. You'd, you'd only go to heaven, you'd be blessed, blessed. and you'd be wealthy. And that, would, that was God's it was sign. The health and wealth gospel of the time. It was the health and wealth gospel of the time. And if you were poor or if you were sick, it's because you were a sinner. And they saw themselves as not sinners. They saw themselves as better than everybody else. But it was because they sought to keep the law perfectly. And Jesus even said they did. He goes, you guys tithe on your mint and your cumin. I mean, you tithe on every, you count every little leaf. And you tithe on, you do all that stuff. You strain at a gnat, but you swallow a camel. You know? And that's what he was saying. And, and, and Paul even said that. Remember back in Philippians chapter 3. He said, as it comes to the zealous for the law, blameless. Paul said, as far as I even know, I probably kept the law perfectly. Of course, what does Jesus say? Uh, you may keep the law in the sense of you haven't committed adultery, actually. But if you've lusted after a woman in, in your heart, you've already broken the law. And if you say you've never committed murder, but you have hatred toward your brother, it's the same thing. And so in that sense, Paul wasn't blameless. And Paul wasn't innocent. But he was striving to be perfect. And so here in this group now, he's under trial. He realized there's Pharisees and Sadducees in this council. And he realized, here's a chance to get them off of me and onto each other. And he stands and says, brothers, Pharisees, I'm under trial because I believe there's a resurrection of the dead. And all of a sudden, they start arguing amongst each other. And... I thought, man, not a bad tactic. You know, our kids are trying that all the time when they're, but do you remember that when they're, they're, they're under, under conviction and the mom and dad are standing there and, well, what about Sue? And what about this? And they try to bring some other topic up and derail. All right, go to Acts 26, verses 4 through 8. Again, now as he's speaking before King Agrippa, he says, My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. And now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope I am accused by the Jews, O King, 
Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? But again, in his defense, as he's just about to tell his story and all this stuff, he says again, I was raised in the strictest sense. I was a Pharisee. So I want you to understand, he is now speaking to people who are accusing him of preaching an easy gospel. He's talking to people that are saying, well, he, he, he's talking against obeying the law and all this stuff. And he's just doing the easy thing. And he says, look, guys, before you just jump to accusations, remember, I used to be like that. I used to think that was the way. And not only that, I probably exceeded you in living that way. This isn't the fact that I'm just some guy that's out there preaching some easy believism. I'm preaching to the truth of the gospel that was made by God before the creation of the world. And if there was everybody that ever lived like you guys are wanting to put these people back under, I excelled you 10 times as much. You don't know who you're talking about if you think that I don't understand about the law. I understand it fully. But I've come to realize that God used the law to get us to understand we can't keep it and that we're guilty before God and we're sinners. And once we realize we need salvation apart from the law, we're not ready for the good news of this message of gospel of grace. All right, but not only was Paul zealous for the law, not only was he taught by Gamaliel, not only was he a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he also used to persecute this same group of people that he was now coming to preach to and preach this gospel to. He not only persecuted, persecuted them severely. Now let's take a look at Acts 22. We jump back to Acts 22. And look at verses 4 and 5. He goes on and he says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Now here's the interesting thing. Here as he's defending himself amongst the Jewish people who were here in Jerusalem at this point trying to have him put to death because he was, you know, he now preaching this gospel that he once tried to destroy. He even said, you guys standing here, some of you, if you're willing to be honest, you know full well, you used to hand me orders and I would fulfill them to go have the people like this put to death. So my flip-flop wasn't whimsical. My switching to the other team isn't something to be taken lightly. I used to be one of your best henchmen. Let's go along. You see a little bit further how he even describes it some more. Go to Acts 26, verses 9 through 11. He's back here talking to Agrippa. In verses 9 through 11, he says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Folks, do you understand the awesomeness of the fact that this same guy now was willing to risk his life to the death to preach the truth of the gospel? Oh, don't let anybody try to talk you into their many ways to God. If there are many ways to God, why in the world was Paul willing to risk his life for this truth? There's only one way. And when he preached about the fact that you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and not of anything you do, that God's not measuring your goodness to determine your righteousness, that it's all through Jesus Christ. If anybody understood that, it was Paul. Let well, me show you one more place. Go to Acts 26. Verses 12 through 18. He said, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus. Sorry, I jumped ahead. I jumped ahead. Sorry, go back. Acts chapter 7. That's where we're going to be heading in our next section here. I jumped in my notes to the wrong one. Acts 7, 54 through 83. A very, very familiar passage to many of us. Here he's been talking about how he's put to death all these Christians and had them. Uh, he even signed the orders and cast his vote. Here we actually see evidence of one of the first times he began to do this. In Acts chapter 7, verse 54, it says, Now when they heard these things, Stephen had just finished preaching. When they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And, at the witness, and the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. 
And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and many made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Again, this gospel he's preaching is not man-made. And he's not preaching an easy message because that's the way that is easy. He's actually going against everything that he had known, everything he had lived for, and all the people that he now knew were going to have him put to death because of this, because he had been used to them to put others to death who believed in this message. He's not taking this lightly. All right, after he persecuted the church, he then met Jesus himself face to face and was taught this gospel by Jesus himself before he even conferred with those who were preaching the message before him. I'm going to make that clear. Paul's, remember, he's defending this gospel, defending his ability to teach it as an apostle. And he says, look, let me just explain something to you. I met Jesus face to face, was taught this by Jesus face to face. I didn't consult anyone, not anyone, not until a certain point. And we'll see when that is. Go to Acts 9 now. You're in Acts 8. Go to Acts 9. Look at verses 1 through 19. I'm going to read to you the, the, the account written by Luke. And then we're going to look at Paul's own account in chapter 22 and chapter 26, where he's been defending himself before the Jews in, in Jerusalem and also before Agrippa. It says, it says in verse, chapter 9, verse 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or both men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you're to do. By the way, in this interesting, I, I got to stop. The preacher in me was having the heart. I can't just read over that. Jesus said, Why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, Why are you persecuting those Christians? Folks, please understand that you are in Christ and Christ is in you and he's in the Father and you're, you're swimming in God and you are connected with Christ. You are righteous because of Christ and stop thinking that God is some God that you have to serve and hopefully he'll be pleased and maybe pat you on the head. You have been made righteous because of Jesus and he's put his spirit within you and you are in him. And Jesus said on that day, you'll know that I'm in you and you're in the Father and I'm in the Father and you're in me and boom, 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 we're swimming. And here when, Paul, when Jesus comes to Paul, he says, why are you persecuting? He says, why are you persecuting me? Oh, let me just say to you as well and take it from someone who's had to learn this. Whenever you talk bad about the bride of Christ, yeah, the church has got some lumps and the church has got some things that God's working on and he's still in the process of conforming her into his image. But when you beat up and bash the church, you are talking bad against the bride of Christ. Amen. And Jesus takes it serious. So be real careful about bashing the church because that is his bride. You wouldn't like it if I talked bad about your bride. You'd probably get all a little offended, wouldn't you? How dare you talk like that about my wife? Well, Jesus takes it serious too. And I've had to, as he's been using me to go speak to the church, have him remind me, remember, as you go, that's not only my bride, that's my girlfriend. That's one I love. And when Satan can't touch you without God's permission. Satan cannot touch you without God's permission. And whenever he allows the enemy to do something, it's because he's shaping you for his best. Rest in the fact that you are loved of God. Rest in that fact. After, so he says, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you're to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. 
And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for, my, for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me, to, sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. I love the fact that Ananias didn't have to wait for a while to see if he was a brother. He just called him brother because Jesus said he was his brother. Amen. I like that. He also now, recognized the Lord's voice immediately. Yes, he knew God's voice when God was talking to him. That's right. He was close enough. Yep. And he also was comfortable enough with God that he could argue with God a little bit and not, and not get worried. <laughs> Look at Acts 22. Let's hear Paul's testimony now before the Jews. Acts 22, verses 1 through 16. Again, we've already seen the first part of this. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are to this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering both in prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were, were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon. A great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Now those who were with me and saw the, with me saw the light, but didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you'll be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, well spoken of by, by all the Jews who live there, came to me and standing by me, by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, that's important, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Go to Acts 26, verses 12 through 18. And we'll hear again in his defense before Agrippa, what, did he, what does he say? In verses 12 through 18 in Acts 26, he says, In this connection I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when, he had, when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. But rise and stand up upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And again, the preacher in me wants to just take this section and spend a day. So we got to keep moving. Our purpose right now is to have us see that Paul met Jesus face to face. And one of the marks of an apostle back in that day was that they had met Jesus and seen Jesus face to face and had been taught by him as the other apostles had been. Remember back in Acts chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, I think it is, 23 or 26, when they had to replace Judas, Peter stands up and says, the scripture says, we must replace him, we must choose from among us men who have been with us from the time of his baptism all the way until his resurrection and his ascension. And of course they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias and they chose him, but there were requirements to be an apostle and he had to have seen Jesus. Now Paul had been alive during all that time, 
But he became an apostle later on when he met Jesus face to face and had seen him, of course, after his resurrection, which you'll see in just a little bit. All right. Now, there's another little part here. Go to, back to Galatians chapter 1. Look at verses 11 through 18. Paul says, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. By the way, hearing this now again, doesn't it make a whole lot more sense after you've read all those sections in Acts? Amen. It's like all of a sudden you read this and you're like, Wow, it's like bigger all of a sudden, isn't it? That's why Bible study is important. See, because if you just read one account in Acts 9 of Paul, you wouldn't realize some of the other details that came out more clear in his reaccounting in Acts 22, and other details come out a little bit more in his recounting in Acts 26. When you put it all together, now you read something like this and you go, wow, it's alive. That's why you need to keep studying the Bible. Study the Bible. All right? So then he goes on and says, uh, So extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately go consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. All right, now we're going to just stop there. Uh, uh, actually, I'll just... Yeah, we'll just stop there for now. But here we see that he said that he didn't consult with any man after that. Remember, he had received his sight here in Damascus. And then he was in Damascus, went off into Arabia. And he didn't go in Jerusalem until when? Three years later. All right. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Look at what he says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. Here is Paul's dealing with the church in Corinth about their abuse of the Lord's Supper and, and actually taking it with a total misunderstanding of what it means. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Listen closely. How did Paul know all that? Was he in the upper room? No. no. Did Peter sit him down and explain, now, Paul, now that you're one of us, this is what the Lord's Supper means? No. Look at what he said. I received this teaching from the Lord. Jesus told him somehow, some way in that three year period from the moment he got saved and began preaching in the churches in Damascus, I mean, synagogues in Damascus and went away into Arabia for a while and then came back to Damascus and then went up to Jerusalem after three years. During that time period, somehow, some way, Paul met Jesus and Jesus taught him face to face for a period of time. And on top of that, Paul's the one that brings out that whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim his death until he comes. That wasn't something Jesus even taught his disciples in the upper room. That was a new aspect of it that Paul had been taught by Jesus. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verses 1 through 11. He says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first important with what I also what? received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. By the way, Cephas is Peter. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 
whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you also believed. Again, he says, when Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to this person, and then this person, and then these people, and so on, and he even appeared to me. And I, what I'm talking to you, I received. Paul is making very clear that, hey guys, what I'm teaching, don't listen to those false teachers that tell you that it's something I made up, it's something that I've changed, it's something that I've added later on. That's been planned before the creation of the world. If anybody believed in legalism, it was me. But what I'm teaching you is the truth. And hopefully you'll understand that what these people that have come in behind me and have said is not true. And I want you now, I'm speaking to you in this generation. I want you to hear that when we talk about the gospel, I want you to go back to what the Bible has said the gospel was. Because over the years in our churches, people have come in behind, if you will, and have started to add on to legalistic teachings and rules and regulations that we grew up in the those of us group in the church were taught that that was how it was and that's what a christian was i remember as a kid being told you can never have anything put on top of the bible anybody have that i mean you nothing could be put it was like a sin to put anything on top of the bible and 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 it, it what's that? Oh, I can't be below your it waist. couldn't be below your waist. That's a, that's a new one to me. But I mean, I believe it. There are those that and, and they would they taught us that the Sunday was the Sabbath and you weren't allowed to do this and you weren't allowed to do that. We're going to blow all that stuff up as we go through Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. We're going to be looking. I want to say to you, don't just sit here and look at this as history. What happened, excuse me, to the churches in Galatia after Paul preached them the gospel has been happening because Satan is still alive to all of us. There have been those who have crept in behind and said, yes, you are saved by faith in Jesus, but you still got to, but you still have to, but you got to dress this way, but you got to do this, but you've got to. I want you to be free. And I don't want you to be thinking you're more righteous than any other Christian out there because you wore a tie. I don't want you to be thinking that you're a better Christian because you use this version of the Bible versus that. If you think you get any more better before God because of anything you do, you don't understand the gospel. You are now believing in something man made up. Now, does God care about our behavior? Yes. Is there things he wants us to do and not do? Of course. But that is to be led by the Lord and the Spirit according to his word and according to what has only been put in his word, not anything that man has added. If you remember, the Pharisees would come and say to the, the Jews, you know, the God, you're to keep the Sabbath holy. And then they wrote, wrote 300 rules to describe what it means to keep the Sabbath holy. I mean, literally down to you're not allowed to tie a knot on the Sabbath unless it can be untied with one hand. Because if it has to be untied with two hands, that you, that's work. Uh, it's just amazing. Uh, literally, there even are some researchers that have done a study that um, if they had false teeth, they weren't allowed to wear them on the Sabbath because the false teeth weren't, aren't uh, actually a natural part of their body. And that was carrying a burden. You weren't allowed to carry anything on the Sabbath. And so since your false teeth were in there and they weren't really yours, they are part of your body, you were carrying something in your mouth. And you were to take your, I mean, folks, let me tell you. And they would come up with all the reasons why, why they could prove that that's what it meant to obey this law. And if you think back, we've all been raised under that. Is this sin to cut grass on Sunday? <laughs> uh, the Bible doesn't say that it's a sin to cut grass on, on Sunday. Yes, it is a sin to smoke it. So. <laughs> no, seriously. Oh. I'm not trying to be crude. Yes, the Hasidic Jews will literally, and I'm just saying this, it's kind of funny, but at the same time it's true. The, the Hasidic Jews will tear how many sheets of toilet paper they think they're going to need on the Sabbath on Friday because they're not allowed to tear the toilet paper on the Sabbath. If you're in your home, I was nursing home, mm -hmm. we would turn the lights on and off before we left on the Sabbath. So the Jews would have to be turning lights on. Yep. Folks. Like I said, it's easy to talk about all the foolishness. We've fallen into a lot of that foolishness, and we don't realize it because that's what we were raised with, and we've been told that's what it means to be a Christian. I want you to be set free. So as we go into the study, you'll see that God begins to blow that up. Now, I don't want to take the time to go into this last section. I'm going to give you the scriptures because there's something I really want to do before we leave tonight. But the next section I want you to just kind of write these scriptures down and go look at yourself and you'll see it is. After those three years, Paul then goes to Jerusalem for about 15 days. And then that's where he met with Peter and James. By the way, this James is Jesus' brother because at this point, John, 
his brother James, James and John, sons of Zebedee, James has already been put to death. So at this point, when he meets with James up in Jerusalem, it's Jesus' brother, James, who wrote the book of James. All right, he meets with them, but he had to leave quickly because the Jews, the Jews they were trying to kill him. And he didn't return to Jerusalem to meet with the leaders of the church until another 14 years later. All right, so Paul's just saying, look, and he says that in Galatians 1, verses 18 through 24. Write that down. That's the first place. As Galatians 1, 18 through 24. And then you'll see some more about that in Acts 9, 26 through 31. You'll also see some more in Acts 22, 17 through 21. Say that again. Galatians 1, 18 through 24. Acts 9, 26 through 31. And Acts 22, verses 17 through 21. Now, we're going to deal most likely next week, or at least start, begin to head into the, the, the Jerusalem Council issue that Paul deals with in Acts 2, I mean, Galatians 2. And that's when he goes back to Jerusalem from Antioch 14 years later to deal with the defense of this gospel. But all I want to do in wrapping up tonight is I want to go back to something Paul says in the section in chapter 1 of Galatians, verses 15 and 16. <clears throat> he says in verse 15, But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone. Look at what Paul says. He said, God set me apart before I was born. He set me, by the way, when we talk about being set apart, um, that's like when you pick something to be used for a special purpose, all right? You might have a, a bunch of apples, but when you pick an apple to put in your lunch when you go to work, you will take one, set it aside. It's a special one now. It's been chosen for a purpose. It's set apart. Paul said, God set me apart as a preacher to, his Gentile, to the Gentiles before I was born. Now, this is where we get into that part that makes it really hard for our heads. And I want to kind of show you some scriptures tonight that will help you a little bit to understand it, but please don't think it's going to make total sense to you. All right? We've already seen how Jesus was set apart to die for our sins before he came to this earth, right? We already saw it at the beginning. That was all planned by God before the creation of the world. I want you to hear this. Nothing catches God by surprise. God has foreknowledge of all things. That's why when Peter says, hey, I'll die for you, he says, actually, you will, but it'll be a lot later. Tomorrow, you're going to deny, tonight, tonight, I mean, you're going to deny you even know me three times before the rooster crows. He knows everything about his life. Paul, I mean, David even said in Psalm 139, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them even came to be. Folks, this is where the Calvinist type folks tend to just kind of emphasize one aspect of what we're looking at tonight. That God has predestined a lot of things. And then they unfortunately take it too far and then they say they predestined, who will be, he predestines, who will be saved, and he chooses some not to be saved. That's not, that's taking it too far. But don't lose sight of this one truth. The Bible is very clear that God knows who will be saved ahead of time. And listen, he makes decisions ahead of time according to his foreknowledge. For God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love Right. Now listen, God knew that Paul would come to faith. But he also planned for Paul to be the preacher to the Gentiles before he even came to faith. Now, there are those who then say that then Paul didn't really have a choice. One man said to me, well, if God knows what tie I'm going to wear tomorrow, I really don't have a choice. And I said to him, yes, you do. Don't let God's foreknowledge get in the way of the fact that you have a responsibility. This in no way removes man's responsibility. Man is free to make his own choices, even though God already has seen what those choices will be. And this is hard sometimes for us to wrap our brains around, but Scripture teaches both are true. And that's what I want you to hear from me. I'm going to give you a couple of scriptural evidences of this, all right? All right? Both sides of this equation are taught in Scripture. That's why there are those who argue from Scripture on both sides. There are those who spend all their time in the, what we call the Arminian side. And I hate to even use the terms now because they're all so blurred. But there are those who argue for the free will of man so much that they deny God's sovereignty and that fact that God makes choices. There are those who argue for the sovereignty of God so much with their own definition of sovereignty, by the way. They, they decide what sovereignty is, and then they try to make that fit, God fit into their definition. But they argue on that side so much, and both sides have scripture to argue their point. It's because the Bible teaches both. And the problem man has is we say they both can't be true. 
I say to you, they are both true and leave it alone. But let me show you scripturally what I mean. Go to Acts chapter 13. <coughs> Look at verses 42 through 48. And hopefully this will keep you from getting into any arguments with folks because there'll be people out there who love to argue with you about all this stuff. In Acts chapter 13, verses 42 through 48, Paul had been preaching in the synagogue, and as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them on the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who as they spoke with them, listen closely, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Look closely what Paul says. He says, it's up to you. You continue in the grace of God. He didn't say, hey, God's going to do what God's going to do. He didn't say, it's already been pre-chosen. Whether you're in or you're out, it's, not, you know, it's already up to God. You don't have a choice. He said, look, listen to me. Uh, it's obvious that you're curious about this. And John 6, said, no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws them. Therefore, if you are even curious about this, God has begun His work of grace to draw you. You better stay in it. You have a responsibility. You better continue in the grace of God. That's why later on we even hear Him say, as we already read earlier, as long as you hold on to this truth. I mean, you have a choice. Well, look at what it says next. The next Sabbath, verse 44, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It is necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you thrust it aside and judge, uh, aside and judge, for your, judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Do you see it? Oh, and I don't care which translation you have. They all say the same thing. As many who were set apart to be saved on that day were saved. They're both there, folks. This is God's work. And if you're saved, you're saved by God's grace. Remember Jesus said, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Amen. But then there are those who try to take all those scriptures, and there are many, and try to say that man really doesn't have a responsibility. That's not true. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Go to Matthew 23. By the way, none of you know what God knows, right? I mean, nobody can tell what's going to happen tomorrow, right? No? Right. So you have choices to make tonight and choices you can make tomorrow. And you're going to be held accountable for them. Oh, yeah, God already knows. And many of his decisions are already made according to those, those choices. But if you just sit back and say, well, what's the be is what's going to be? <laughs> Guess what? The only thing you can control is what you decide. And you better, better be faithful to obey what it is he says. Listen to Matthew 23, verses 37 through 39. Oh, Jerusalem. Jesus is standing over Jerusalem. Zephyr rides into Jerusalem on the donkey. And he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the, cities that kill, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And look, you were not willing. Whose choice was it? Theirs. Theirs. See, your house is left to you desolate. I'll tell you that you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Look, look again at what the similar situation in Luke 19. Look at verses 41 through 44. Luke 19, 41 through 44. It says, And when he drew Jesus, drew near and saw the city, he wept over it saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that would make for peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground and you and your children within you. And they'll not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. He says, it's on you. He wept. Oh, if you'd only been willing. If he only had known. If you only had responded, he wept. He didn't act like, well, there was really no choice. I actually known this before, so I'm not going to get emotional about something I've already seen. Why did he weep? Because they had a choice. They had an opportunity. He's, God sent them the prophet Elijah through John the Baptist. And they said no. All right? 
So Jesus says, oh, I wish you would. I wish you had. But you weren't willing. But now go with me to Mark chapter 8. Look at verse 31. And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. That's Mark 8, 31. Go to Mark 9. Look at verses 30 through 32. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he didn't want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they didn't understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Go to Mark 10. Look at verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. All the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was teaching his disciples by saying, they're not going to receive me, they're going to reject me, they're going to kill me, and they're going to spit on me, they're going to do all this, but I'm going to rise from the dead. He already knew what was going to happen. Yet, when he gets to Jerusalem, what does he do? He weeps over it. Why? Because they had a choice, and they said no. It's both there, folks. I wanted you to hear this, and I'll get right to you, Allison. Please avoid any teacher that will emphasize one over the other. Avoid any teacher that will ignore one or the other. Both aspects are true. Now, here's where you're gonna, I'm gonna save you a lot of heartache and a lot of bellyache and a lot of headaches. Don't get into arguments over how they fit together. Nobody knows. There'll be lots of people out there who would love to try to debate with you, well, what if that, this and that, what? Man can't figure God out. The minute you can explain to me the Trinity and how God is one yet three parts and how they're all equal yet separate yet to in, but together, I was being ordained, and before the ordination, I had my ordination council. And this one man who thought I was too young felt it was his job to prove that I wasn't ready. And so in my ordination council, which Becky will tell you, lasted three hours, I was being grilled, especially by this one man, and he asked me this one question, who raised Jesus from the dead? And I said, God did, as in Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. He goes, no, you're wrong. <laughs> I said, how am I wrong? He said, well, Jesus said, no one takes my life. I will raise it up. So Jesus raised himself from the dead. I said, that's true. But let me show you here where it says God the Father raised him. Let me show you over here where it says the same spirit of God, which raised Jesus from the dead, now lives within you. It says the spirit did it. It said Jesus did it. It said the Father did it. You're trying to separate Jesus the Father from the spirit. You know, ah, stop. I don't know how it all works together, but if you know the scriptures and you put it all together, that's why my desire in teaching you the word of God, and we've done that a lot tonight, is to show you, look what it says here, and look at what it says in Genesis, and Revelation, and this part, and this part, and how they all say the same thing. And if you understand as you put it together, the word will come alive and it'll make sense. If there are people out there who have got one or two verses to prove their point, what did they're going to lead you straight. What did, was he was oh, he was, on to his, uh, he was on to his next question that he was going to trip me up with. He, he didn't care what my answer was. He was trying to find one I couldn't answer. So, go ahead. Um, Jesus is telling them exactly what's going to happen. And yet, in the garden, I guess somebody, he struggled. He said, in the garden, even though he already knew what was going to happen. Free will. Exactly. He still had to he had that. that he had the, Allison, I'm so glad you brought that out. I'm surprised at the same time it's coming from you. But that's still. <laughs> <laughs> that just, well, thank you, Jim. I'm learning. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you hear what Allison said? All the way, he's saying, here's what's going to happen. Yet, in his own free will, he wrestled in the garden. Allison, that's good. I might even have to use that again sometimes. <laughs> of course, I'll never tell anybody where it came from. But they, uh, that's how they're both there, folks. So avoid anybody that says one or the other. Stick to the whole of Scripture. Thank you so much for putting up with all this. And I look forward to us meeting next week. Let's pray together. Father. Lord, oh, everything in me wants to just go on. And I thank you for the way in which, even though I've been exhausted tonight because of travel, as I teach, your spirit just invigorates me. And I just want to go. And I want to run. I want to just share this. And Lord, I thank you for the way in which your word is alive. Oh, Father, forgive us for not 
being willing to study it even for ourselves and believing that this one guy who calls himself teacher or preacher and shares one verse with us that makes sense, all of a sudden we think that that's the way it is. Lord, tonight we've seen just in your word in three places where Paul retold his own story, there were other aspects that came out, things that made the whole story more clear. And then when he says in Galatians, this is my story, it was so much more clear. Lord, may your word become that way for us in those areas that we wrestle over. This one verse that seems to give us a headache or a bellyache. And someone to just take it a certain way. Lord, may we be willing to take the time to study it and look at all of your word as to how it applies. And then I believe as well that one section that didn't seem to make sense will become so much more clear. Father, we thank you for the privilege we've been able to be have, have here in America to be able to sit here and to do this. And to open up your word and to not worry about anybody upset that we're meeting in here. Lord, we understand that there's a chance that if things continue in this nation as they are, that these privileges may go away. May we take full advantage of them and continue to do so even if man says we can't. But Lord, may you teach us individually how we have fallen prey to the false teachers over the years that have come in behind your spirit teaching us the truth. And taught us things that weren't of man. I'm sorry, weren't of you, but were of man. Things that were added on as to whether or not we can cut the grass on Sunday. Lord, help us, I pray, to live in the freedom of your gospel. And not use as an excuse to sin, but not think we need man's rules to control us when you live within us. May we know what it means to be led of you. And to walk in the power of your plan for each of our lives. And the joy that comes with that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.